Hey, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. If you don't know where that is, Judges is the seventh book in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one like this around you. It's page 175 in this Bible, 175. We're going to go cover Judges 13, 14, and 15. So you can imagine uh, that we're going to spend quite... I'm sorry, Emily, I think I took your Bible. So you can <laughs> have that one if you want. Uh, I'm thankful to be at a church where I can be myself. Don't you guys love that about Genesis? Like, I don't have to pretend. I can just bring my stuff to, to you almost every week, and uh, you guys can hear about it. And I, I know a lot of uh, people have a preconceived notion of what a pastor should look like and act like and how they should talk. And, but I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that I can just be real with you. Aren't you thankful to be in a place like Genesis Church where you can just be real? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Good. Because I have a confession to make. <laughs> The water wasn't really out at Carmel last week. I just really needed a vacation. And uh, so while you guys were doing this over in Noblesville, thank you, by the way, those of you who went to Noblesville. So you were doing this over in Noblesville. Here's what I was doing. Um, yeah, I was, that was me. I was, I was praying, and I was praying that no plumbers would pull up in front of the church, like wanting to come to church here because they'd have to come in and like, oh, the water's out. Let me see what I can do. And they turn on the water. Oh, like it's magic. I could just, you know, pretend. Uh, I didn't really need a week off. I really had written the message. I was very excited about it. But, and I don't, and I'm not one of those people that believes that God causes all these things to happen. And I don't know if God calls the water to be off here at Carmel or not. But I do know this. I do know Romans 8.28 says, and that we know that God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if you were there last week for that service, you know that that was an example of Romans 8, 28, that God was working in all things, even things that maybe aren't good, uh, to, to, uh, for the good of those who were there. And we had a huge crowd of people from Carmel that went over to Noblesville. Thank you to those of you who did and got to experience this moment. And, and this is a perfect opportunity to just re- remind you, um, and please, if you're feeling... Uh, a little bit guilt, a little bit of guilt when I say this. It's not from me, okay? It's probably from the Holy Spirit. But when you miss church, you never know when you're going to miss a moment like this. And I know that some people probably got the message on Sunday morning that we're not having church here, and you thought, oh, you know what? I'll just catch the podcast. But you won't get a prayer moment like this on the podcast. Uh, you won't get a worship set like we had this morning on the podcast. And so there's something about God's people being together in the same place at the same time and worshiping him together that is anointed uh, by the spirit of God that is cool when we come together. And so that's why we miss you guys when you're gone. I'm so glad you're here this morning, but I'm talking to the, you guys and you're here. And so tell that to the people that aren't here. Okay. Anyway, um, it was great to be together all in one place, and uh, if you missed that message, please do check out the podcast because it's kind of foundational to what we're talking about. We're in the second week of this series. It's called The Measure of a Man. We're studying the week of Samson, and while we're targeting men in this series, we know that there will be something for everybody here, but let's just uh, review a little bit. Let's talk about what we know about Samson. Just shout something out. What do you know about Samson? Hair. Yeah, long hair, hair, right? What else? He was strong. We know his strength. What else? Delilah, we know he was married to somebody named Delilah. We don't know much about Delilah. All we know is that she liked to cut hair and uh, she hosts a late night talk show, radio show where you can call in your songs, right? That's all we know about Delilah. Delilah. Um, What else do we know? What's that? Chains, chains. He was able to break chains, right? He was able to break uh, stuff. He was really strong. Okay, so we know uh, his birth was announced by an angel. Paul talked about that last week. He was set apart to be dedicated to God, and, and that's where the long hair came from. That's where his strength came from. He, he, we know he had incredible strength. 
that he tore apart a lion with his bare hands. We're going to talk about that later. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He, he compromised his vow. He took this vow and he compromised that vow for a handful of honey. Paul talked about that last week. He was prone to fits of anger and rage. We know that he killed 30 men to pay off a gambling debt. We're going to talk about that today. And we know that he had an insatiable weakness for women. And what, but what we think about most, I think, is the first two things you guys said. We think about Samson as he had long hair and he had great physical strength that God gave him. But we said last week that Samson's story is largely one of wasted potential. Right, that he had so much potential that God had placed in him and he wasted it. And we said because Samson was a very strong man with weak character. And if you were there last week, you know that we talked about three attitudes that can make strong men weak. Those three attitudes. The first one was lust. And if you remember, lust says, does anybody remember? Lust says, I, I want it. Lust says, I want it. Uh, entitlement says, I deserve it, right? Good. And uh, the third one was pride. And pride says, I can handle it. I can handle it. And those were three attitudes that we see in Samson, three attitudes that I see in myself sometimes that maybe you see in you. So during this series, we've been asking this question, what is it that defines a real man? Like if it's not his strength, Samson had lots of strength. If it's not his job, we saw in this video, four guys with four very different jobs. Uh, They're all real men. Uh, if it's not his hobby, what makes a real man? What makes a godly man? Uh, we've been saying it this way. What is the measure of a man? And each week we're looking at one aspect, one characteristic, one dimension uh, that helps define the measure of a man. So last week we said the measure of a man is in his character. And this week, the one thing I want you to take away, this is not uh, uh, contradicting what we said last week. It's adding two. We're going to add one each week. Uh, the measure of a man, if, the one thing, if you're taking notes, the measure of a man is in his obedience. Obedience. Well, that's no fun. I mean, character, I can kind of get behind because character's like nebulous, right? Character's kind of wishy-washy. We all have our own opinion of what somebody with good character is. Like, like you probably have somebody in your life that would say they have good character and you look at their life and you go, Really? Because that's not what I see. Like, I don't see the same person on the inside and the outside. That's what we think about when we think about good character. But obedience, I mean, obedience, that, that sounds like rules, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like works. What are you trying to pull here? Obedience. A measure of a man is in obedience. Well, you know, for those of us who are Christians, uh, one of our big challenges is that we should be led by the Holy Spirit in everything that we do, that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. When you put your trust in Christ, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, to live, to reside inside of you. And he's there to lead you into a deeper, more intimate relationship uh, with God. He's there to give counsel. Uh, he's there to give advice. He's there to give wisdom. He's there to help us make decisions. But he wants to lead us in a life of obedience. That's what the Spirit wants for us. Not because that's the rule, but because we, he wants us to have a better relationship, a closer relationship with God. And we all know that there are rules that come with a relationship, right? I mean, my wife and I have some rules. Some of them are spoken, some are unspoken, but we have some rules that we follow in our relationship. Uh, we have one rule uh, that we call the $100 rule. And the rule is that neither one of us will spend $100 without first asking the other person, talking to the other person about it. Now, that came about because when we first got married 24 years ago, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary this week. I tell you that just to get gratuitous applause. Um, thank you for that. It worked again. 
so 24 years ago when we got married, we had very little money, and 100 bucks was a big deal. And so we just decided at that point, we talked to each other and said, hey, if we're going to spend $100 uh, or more, let's call each other and talk about it. And so we do that. We call it the $100 rule. Uh, we, I have a, we have a, a rule in our marriage uh, that I don't meet alone with women. She doesn't meet alone with men. And that came about because we were close to a couple that had an affair uh, early on in our marriage. And we decided that we didn't want our marriage to go down that way. And so we put some guardrails in place. And one of them is uh, that I don't meet alone with women. She doesn't meet alone with men. And I tell you, as a pastor, that puts a little bit of a strain on my ministry. I have to uh, decide where and how I can minister to women. Uh, but we do it because, uh, I mean, it's a rule, and it's a rule that I follow, not because it's a rule. It's a rule because my wife and I want to keep a good relationship, right? Uh, we have a rule in our marriage that I don't call her sturdy or handsome. Uh, that rule came about because I'm an idiot, and so <laughs> I follow that rule because I want to keep a good relationship with my wife, not because it's a rule, not because I'm afraid of breaking it, right? The problem is that for so many of us, we can be led by emotions. Now, we all know I don't want to step on any toes here, but most of us understand that sometimes ladies can be driven by emotion. But most of us believe that men are unemotional, that men are logical, that we're critical thinkers, that we always make logical decisions. But the truth is men are incredibly emotional and we make decisions based on emotion all the time. Emotions like fear. Fear causes men to make certain kinds of decisions. Uh, like amusement. We make decisions for amusement purposes. Like envy. Envy causes all of us to make decisions about what to buy or where to go or what to do. Weariness. Weariness is an emotion that causes us to make not always good decisions. Uh, hope. Hope is an emotion. We make decisions based on hope, but also based on hopelessness. And finally, anger. Sometimes men make decisions out of anger. We let our emotions lead us rather than let the Spirit of God lead us. Now, everybody will say, whenever you go to somebody, especially a non-Christian, whenever you go to somebody and you ask for advice, they will say, follow your heart, follow your heart. Oh, just follow your heart. Just do. That's terrible advice. Don't ever follow your heart. Your heart is fickle. Your heart can't make up its mind. Your heart changes from time to time. So if we can't follow our heart, how should we make decisions? Well, Scripture has great instruction for us. In Galatians 5, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But Steve, I want to gratify the desires of the flesh. Ah, but it goes on. For the flesh desires what is contrary, what is opposed to, what is opposite. The flesh desires what is not the Spirit. And the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you read through the book of Judges that we're studying right now, if you read through the entire book of Judges, what you'll see is time after time, there's a phrase in there that says, at that time, the people in Israel had no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That everybody was doing what they thought was right. Everybody was doing what they wanted to do. And it was a disaster. And so scripture says, God has given you his Holy Spirit, his, his presence, his spirit is there to lead us in the way to go. He's there to bring us joy and strength. He's there to give us wisdom. He's there to lead us into a kingdom agenda. And if you follow the rules, not because they're rules and not because you're afraid to break them, but because you want a closer relationship with God, that's exactly what the spirit wants to do to you. He wants to bring you satisfaction and significance and purpose in life. 
So how many of you have been watching the Olympics the last couple of weeks? Yeah, good. Most of you. This has been my exercise routine the last two weeks. This is moose tracks, by the way. <laughs> right? And so I'm living vicariously through all these incredible athletes. So I've, I've been watching the Olympics. And um, uh, a week ago, I watched David Budaya and Steele Johnson in the uh, synchronized platform diving. Did you see that? Uh, incredible guys. Uh, when they show it from the side, it looks like one diver. And it's amazing to see these guys. And uh, Budaya's from Noblesville, right? Steele Johnson's from Carmel. Is that right? So uh, two guys from Indiana. And uh, incredible to watch. And they were, they're the best at what they do. I mean, they've got the silver medal this time. David Budai's had a gold medal before. You could tend to get defined by being a good diver. Would you agree? That if you were the best in the world at something, wouldn't you pretty much, when somebody says, what do you do? Uh, don't you think I'd say, well, I win Olympic medals. That's what I do for a living, you know? David Badaya, after their uh, performance, I don't know if you saw this interview, uh, she asked him, what's it like to be the silver medalist, uh, Olympic silver medalist? And he said this. He said, when I'm defined by this, this being diving, this being what I do, he said, when I'm defined by this, it can make me crazy. He said, but we both know, him and Steele Johnson, we both know that our identity is in Christ. That that's what defines him. He said that on national television. It was incredible to watch, incredible to see. And such an incredible moment of wisdom to see somebody who's led by the Spirit and not by his emotions and not by what he does. The problem for Samson and for so many of us men is that we follow our hearts. We're led by emotion. We, we, we do that. We set ourselves up for failure. All right, so let's get to the story of Samson. Uh, we got a lot to cover. Judges 13 is where we're going to start. His story takes place around 1100 BC. So 3,100 now years ago is the story of Samson. It's the longest story in the book of Judges. We know more about Samson than we do about any other judge in the Old Testament. It's as long as the New Testament book of Ephesians, if you think about that. Uh, four, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16 is Samson. So we're going to cover a good part of it today. Judges 13, 24 is where we're going to start. The woman, the woman is Samson's mother. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Now, names in the Old Testament are significant. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, Samson's name, his Hebrew name is literally Shimshim. Shimshim means of the light or of the sun. Now, at this time in Israel, uh, the, all the cultures around Israel would have been polytheistic. In, in other words, they would have had many gods. So they would have had you know, a god of water and a god of war, and they would have had a god of the sun or a god of light. But, but Samson's family is from the nation of Israel. They're a, a Jewish culture. They're a monotheistic culture. There's one god. And so to have a name like of the sun or of the light would have meant of God or from God or ordained by God or set apart by God. So it was clear from Samson's name that he had a purpose. This was what he was there for. He was set apart from God, chosen by God, God called by birth to be a judge or a deliverer. Now, Israel had fallen into sin. We talked about that. At that time, there were no kings in Israel, so everybody just did what they wanted. But Samson is supposed to be a reflection of God, an example of his obedience. And so as part of this vow that he took, that's called the Nazarite vow, we said that there are three things that Samson was supposed to do. Three major things that were part of the Nazarite vow. Let's see if you can help me out with them. He was not supposed to drink any what? Wine, any wine. Nothing from the vine. No wine, no grapes. Uh, he couldn't take communion here. Nothing like that. Uh, second thing, he was not supposed to touch anything that was what? Dead, dead or unclean, right? Nothing that was dead, nothing that was unclean. And the third thing, he wasn't supposed to cut his hair, right? So these may seem a little silly to us. But 3,000 years ago, this was a visible sign that somebody was set apart to God. It was the only way that someone outside of the, of the clan of the Levites, uh, the people of God, the priests, uh, could be dedicated to God. So Samson, uh, because of his vow, had the Spirit of God on him. 
That's, what, that's the verse we just read. The Spirit of God was on him. So, but he didn't always follow the Spirit. He didn't always walk in the Spirit. He didn't always do what the Spirit suggested. So that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to look at three events from the life of Samson where the Spirit of God is clearly present, and we see Samson doing something that violates his vow, and then we're going to ask the question, why does that happen, okay? So um, you're going to have to be quick with your fingers there. But Judges 14.1 is where we're going to start the first story. Samson went down to Timnah, and there saw a young Philistine woman. Now, see, right there, we know something is up. Uh, the name Timnah literally translates as forbidden. Uh, Timnah was in Philistine territory. The Israelites were not supposed to uh, interact with Philistines. They certainly were not supposed to intermarry with Philistines. And to go to a city whose name means forbidden, I think, shows you that Samson's on the wrong path. But he goes there anyway, finds a woman he wants to marry too. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me and his wife, as, as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Couldn't you marry your cousin? Uh, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one. He doesn't care what is right. He doesn't care what is good. He doesn't care what dad says. He doesn't care what mom says. He doesn't care what God says. He sees what he wants. He's being driven by his emotions, right? Uh, Verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. Stop right there for a minute. Stop, stop, because I was reading this this week, and uh, something really jumped out to me. His mother and father are opposed to what he's about to do, but they go with him anyway. Did you catch that? Like Samson's mom and dad say, no, that's not the right thing to do. But Samson goes, and his parents are right there with him. I'm like, who's the parent? Do you ever think that? Like, do you see, do you talk to parents? I'm soapbox. Do you ever talk to parents that say, uh, I don't understand why Billy talks like that. I don't understand why Susie watches that or listens to that. I'm like, who's the mom? Who's the dad? Like, you don't need to be his friend. He has friends. You need to be his dad. Thank you. (laughs) Soapbox down. His parents go with him. Verse 5, as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, help me out, what was Samson not supposed to drink? Wine. As they approached the vineyards, where they make what? Wine of Timnah, which means what? Forbidden. In the city of the what? Philistines, the enemy. Okay. Something's not right here. Uh, Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. First of all, pretty cool, right? I mean, Samson's been blessed with physical strength, so why wouldn't you tear the lion apart? Why wouldn't you? Well, maybe if you'd taken a vow not to touch anything that was dead, you wouldn't want to tear the lion apart. But the Spirit of God comes powerfully on Samson, and he kills the lion. Okay, then look at this, verse 6. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Something in that tells us that he knew that what he did was wrong. All right, we're going to come back to that. All right, I promise. Second event, before his wedding, Samson throws this wild bachelor party in Timnah. Paul talked about this last week, that the implications, he's basically throwing a kegger. And he's going down to his, uh, it's another you know, violation of his Nazarite vow. Uh, Samson is supposed to be delivering the, the Israelites from the Philistines, but instead he's joining in. He's doing the things he's not supposed to do. Uh, day one of this feast, he's there with his groomsmen. Now notice, his groomsmen are all Philistines. Samson's got 30 groomsmen. None of them are his friends from Israel. Guys, if you're getting married and none of your friends will come to your wedding, that is an indication that maybe you are marrying the wrong person. All right? 
little helpful advice from your pastor. Uh, Samson is there, 30 of his groomsmen. They're all Philistines. He's probably not in charge of his faculties because he's had something to drink. He offers up this riddle to have some fun. Uh, For anyone who can answer the riddle, Samson says, I'll give you a new set of clothes. But if you guys can't answer it, then you owe me a set of clothes. Now think about the financial outlay. This is going to be, okay, 30, uh, say if you were to bet somebody 30 suits of clothes, um, that's a pretty strong financial outlay there. So after three days, the Philistines can't solve the riddle. So they bring in Samson's wife, soon to be, the bride to be. And uh, on the fourth day, Judges 14, 15 says, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. It's a pretty strong threat. So she goes to Samson and women have their ways. Men say amen. Women have their ways. And uh, she gets the answer to the riddle. And uh, she takes it back to the groomsmen. Remember, the groomsmen are all Philistines. They're her family, not his. She gives the correct answer to Samson. They give the correct answer to Samson, and now Samson's angry because he owes them 30 sets of clothes. He's planning to use the gift money from the wedding for a golf trip with his buddies. I can't do that now. That's not going to happen. And so check out the emotion in this. Judges 14, 19. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. There's the spirit of the Lord again. Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who explained the riddle. And then burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. So Samson leaves his wedding feast, goes and kills 30 men, grabs their clothes, takes them back to the men he owes the riddle to, and then goes back home, leaves his own wedding. All right? So uh, we see the spirit of the Lord show up right before that happens. What in the world? All right, one more example, and then we'll talk about it. In frustration, Samson had left his bride at the altar. Her father is humiliated, and so he gives uh, his daughter to someone else in marriage. She basically marries the best man. And then time passes, and Samson goes, hey, I remember at one point I was supposed to get married. And so he goes down to see his uh, woman who was his bride-to-be, and he gets there, and he discovers she's already married to someone else. Guess who's not happy about that? The strongest man in the world is not happy about that. He's angry. He wants revenge. And so he goes and he burns all of their fields. He burns uh, the fields of all of her family. I mean, destroys their crops. They have no means of providing income for their family. And, and just stop there for a moment. Before we talk about this any further, do you wonder when he's going to get it? Like, when is Samson going to figure this out? And remember that he was set apart. He was called by God to be a, a deliverer of Israel. And instead he's causing all this trouble. He's so led by emotion that he's doing things the wrong way. And don't you think he's just got to wake up and remember that God had a plan for his life. Samson has been blessed by God. He's been miraculously gifted. You can't help but want him to realize and see the potential that God has for him in this world, but he's just too foolish. He he doesn't see the warning signs. He's too driven by emotion. He won't listen to anybody. And so what happens is he's captured by the Philistines and he's tied up. But remember, he's got that strength. We know that won't last for long. And so if you skip ahead to Judges 15, verse 14, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arm became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hand. And then here's where his anger comes in. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. A thousand men with a shiv. I mean, but once again, notice the spirit of the Lord is there. 
What's happening in this case? All three incidents are places where the spirit of the Lord shows up and then Samson violates his vow. What's happening here? Here's the question it should raise in you. It's the question it raises in me. Will the spirit of God ever cause us to do something that is contrary to the will of God? Will God's spirit ever drive us to do something that is opposed to his will? Well, to understand this takes a little bit of digging in the weeds. And so first you should know I'm not big on recommending one Bible translation over another. I don't think I've ever stood up here and probably never in conversation with you have I said, well, you really shouldn't read this translation because this one is the one that's ordained by God. Like King James Version is the only one because that's what Jesus spoke in. And uh, no, that's not true. So uh, I think anything that we can do to get people reading God's word is good. All right, and so whatever version you have that you understand, that you get, and that you like to read, go read it. But in this case, in this particular case, uh, the NIV translation is not great. I want to look back at the first story, the one where he's headed down to Timnah uh, to the vineyards, and he sees the lion. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, uh, Judges 14.5, if you've got your Bible. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. I want you to underline powerfully right there if you have your own Bible, powerfully upon him. And then underline these two words, so that, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Now, uh, two things in there, powerfully can be translated as uh, quickly or rushing, okay? So author Brad Gray, uh, who um, I've looked at a book about uh, Samson over the past couple weeks. I've been reading some of this. Brad Gray talks about the idea here that something quickly comes upon someone. Uh, He says, in this case, the spirit of the Lord is rushing upon Samson. All right, so just keep that image in your mind. It's rushing upon Samson. What happens next? He tears the lion apart. Now, here's where the translation kind of breaks down a little bit. Notice the two little words in there, so that. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart. Now, here's what Gray points out. The problem is, those two words, so that, there's not even really a Hebrew word that means that. They don't have that conjunction. They don't have that phrase in the Hebrew language. I mean, there are only about 8,000 words that were used in the Hebrew language to write the Bible. We have a million words in English, just to give you context, all right? So they don't even have a word that... Now, there is a conjunction that, that means and, but it's not causal. And is not causal, right? So that is like, it sounds like the Spirit of God came upon him and caused him to rip the lion apart. But most translations you read will have and there instead. Like look at the New King James Version, for example. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart. And so there really isn't in the original Hebrew a causation in that. And if you look at the other two stories, it's the same thing. It's the Spirit of the Lord came on him and. The Spirit of the Lord came on him and. The Hebrew is not saying that the Spirit is responsible for causing Samson to tear the line apart and violate his vow. It's not cause and effect. Instead, it's saying the spirit rushed at him and he tore the line apart. The spirit rushed at him and he killed 30 men and took their clothes. The spirit rushed upon him and he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. It's like despite, didn't say this, okay, but it could be like despite the spirit of the God rushing at him at the last minute, he violated his vow anyway. Here's what I want to get with all this. There are three different instances where Samson's about to break his vow. The spirit of the Lord who wants to lead us in obedience, right? He wants to lead us in the will of God. The spirit of the Lord uh, comes quickly upon him. Maybe to get him to stop. Right? Essentially saying, stop, Samson, 
Remember who you are. Why do you want to violate your vow? But instead, Samson is led by emotion. So instead, he tore the lion apart. He killed 30 men. He, he struck down 1,000 with a jawbone of a donkey. In each instance, I believe, the spirit is rushing to confront him. But Samson wants none of it. He, he, doesn't want, he, he does what he wants to do. He violates his Nazarite vow. Uh, that was ordained by God. Now, if you're a common sense sort of person, you're probably thinking this. There's a lion in his path. What's he supposed to do? I've never come across a lion in the wild, have you? But you know who comes across a lion in the wild all the time? Gazelles. What do gazelles do? They run. Which way do they run? The other way. Did you know in the Old Testament there are at least three incidences besides this one where a lion symbolizes confrontation, where a lion uh, maybe is sent by God to symbolize confrontation there? Could it be that the Lord sent the lion while Samson was on his way to the what vineyard in Timnah, forbidden, in the land of the Philistines? where he wasn't supposed to go, where he wasn't supposed to go, where he wasn't supposed to go. Is it possible that God sent a lion to block his path? And is it possible that because of Samson's God-ordained strength, he chose to disobey the Spirit of God and do what he wanted to do anyway? Look around your life right now. Where is there a lion on your path? Where is God maybe saying, hey, Stop going this way. I'm warning you. You might want to turn around. You know, maybe you, you didn't get that loan, but you were sure that was the right business for you, or you were sure that was the house you're supposed to have or the car you're supposed to have. You were sure. And that loan officer, she's just, she's Satan. She's possessed by Satan. But maybe, 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 maybe that's just a lion placed on your path to stop you from going the wrong way. Or, or maybe uh, a relationship just ended. You and your girlfriend broke up. You and your boyfriend broke up. And you just knew that she was the one. And you don't understand why she doesn't see that too. But maybe God wants to turn you around from pursuing a woman and have you pursue him instead. Maybe God's trying to tell you, don't go into that bar. Stay off the computer. Stay off the television. Think about how this will affect your family. Is there a place in your life right now where you see a lion on your path and you're getting ready to tear him apart with your bare hands? And maybe God's saying, stop. And some of you, some of you need to pray fervently for God to send a lion in your path. Because you're heading down that path and you haven't been caught yet. And nobody knows what you're doing and you are convinced that you are going to get away with it. But you need to pray that God will send something to stop you. Because you're so driven by emotion right now that you're headed that way. And you're going to have that affair. You're going to steal that money. You're going you're to do that thing that you know that you're not supposed to do. That that's not what God created you to do. But you need to pray that God would put a lion in your path to stop you in your tracks. And turn you back around toward him. Where do you need to pray for that? The Spirit of God wants to lead us in obedience. He knows what is best for us. Isaiah 11 says it this way, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's the Spirit. If you're a Christian that lives inside of you, the Bible says that God's Spirit comforts and encourages. He speaks, he teaches. The Spirit knows what is best. Jesus called the Spirit a comforter. He said he was a friend. 
He was someone who comes alongside of us with wisdom and counsel and direction. He's capable of showing us the way we should be headed even when we want to head the other way. But, 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 Acts 7.51 says that the Spirit can be resisted. That we can deny the Spirit. That we can frustrate the Spirit. And that's what Samson's doing. As we close, I want to take you back to the beginning of Samson's story. There's one peculiar phrase in there that we've kind of overlooked in these two weeks so far. But I want to look at it now in Judges 13.5. You still got your finger there in your Bible. The, the angel is speaking to, the, uh, to Samson's mom. And, and he says this. You will become pregnant. And give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as his Nazarite from birth. And then look at this. He will begin to rescue. He will begin to rescue. This version right here says he will take the lead. But he will begin to rescue, is what mine says, Israel from the Philistines. I want you to underline that phrase, if you have your Bible, begin to rescue. Because while God started the rescue story with Samson, he finished it with whom? It's not a trick question. (laughs) With Jesus, the right answer is always Jesus. He finished it with Jesus. And, and I get so many people sometimes that, that say, why do I have to read the Old Testament? It's so confusing. It's so boring. It's so hard. And it doesn't have any uh, impact on my life. And my answer is always because the Old Testament points to Jesus. You read every story and you see people longing for a savior, longing to be rescued, longer, longing to be delivered from their current situation. And man, if you look at your life, isn't that what you're longing for? Oh, We see the same longings in every Old Testament story. They are longing for an advocate, for someone to help them out, for someone to rescue them. And that longing is always for Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. And as we pointed out last week, every story in Scripture can be an example to follow or a lesson to learn. Right? And Samson's story is definitely a lesson to learn. It's told so we might understand the dangers of things like lust and pride. And so we might see what results when we live in opposition to God, when we choose a life of disobedience. But Jesus' life, Jesus' life is an example to follow. And Jesus was tempted in every way, Scripture says, but always chose to live in perfect obedience to his Father in heaven. See, for Jesus, the question was never, what do I want to do? The question was always, what does my father want me to do? What does my father want from me? He knew that when it came to life's choices, he could live his way or God's way. That's what Galatians, the first verse we read, calls living by the flesh or living by the spirit. And Jesus always chose to live by the spirit. He was conceived by the spirit. He was endowed with the spirit. He was led by the spirit. He was empowered by the spirit. Study the life of Jesus. If you study the life of Jesus, you will want to be more like him. Study the life of Jesus, the the Jesus that loves you, the Jesus that Scripture says was there when you were created, the Jesus that died for you, and the Jesus that was raised to life for you. Jesus was completely dependent on the Spirit of God. How did he do this? Well, first he studied the Scriptures. I mean, Jesus knew God's Word better than anyone else who ever lived. He used it to teach, to rebuke, to fight off temptation. He used it to make decisions in his life. Uh, Second, Jesus often withdrew. Scripture says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Is this a habit in your life? Is this something you're cultivating? Men, as you go to lead your family, are you often withdrawing to lonely places to pray? Jesus was obedient. Scripture says that he learned obedience through suffering. I'm a firm believer that the more we obey, the more we hear God's voice. When people come to me and say, I I can't hear God's voice right now, I I always want to ask, are you obeying? Because as a parent, I will tell you, as a parent of two, two kids... When I tell my kids something, if they don't obey, I'm not going to tell them six or seven times, right? I'm going to start using my breath for something else. And I believe that God, 
doesn't want to waste his breath on children who don't obey. Jesus, fourth, he had strong relationships. He surrounded himself with people who were hungry for the word of God. Do you have strong relationships in your life? Are you surrounding yourself with people who want to pursue the same goals that you have? Are you patterning your life after his? Because Jesus, who is completely dependent on the Spirit, wants us to be too. In John 14, he said, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. An advocate, some translations say helper, some say comforter. The word means one who is called to come alongside of us, that the Holy Spirit can come alongside of us and he can help us in our marriage, he can help us in our relationships, he can help us in our worries, in our disappointments, in our temptations, in our work, in our school, and in our family. But you have a choice to make because you can resist the Spirit. You can decide to to walk in the Spirit or you can follow your heart and in the end the decision you make will help determine whether your life is an example to follow or a lesson to learn would you pray with me heavenly father i am so thankful for stories like samson's where i can look and i can see myself and i can look back at my life and i can see some of the decisions i've made and i can have regret but lord i can see where you placed a line on my path to turn me away and to turn me back to you. And Lord, I am so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that lion because while I could have chosen to try to tear him apart, Lord, to repent or to turn the other way or to flee was the right decision. And Lord, I pray for those in this room right now, specifically for those of them who are looking at a lion on their path. And God, they're thinking in their heart that they're just gonna tear that thing apart. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would see that as a warning from you and they would turn around and head back toward you. And Lord, I want to pray fervently now for people in this room who have uh, no lion on their path, that their path is clear. Their path to sin is wide and flat and paved and clear. And Lord, I want you to put a lion in their path to turn them around, to turn them back towards you, whatever it is. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would turn people back towards yourself. God, help us even in these last moments of this service to find our way back to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.